0: Well, good afternoon, everyone. The H1B Guy here. And today, the H1B Guy Live, September 20th, 2023. Today, I'm going to cover some of the October Visa Bulletin results, an E3 visa lawsuit, how Canada keeps winning, and also some powerful documented Dreamer testimony. But before we get started, I'd like to ask you if you haven't already, please subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and like this video so that I can continue to produce more content like this for you. I also wanted to mention that H1B Guy offers a variety of consulting services. I help businesses and individuals solve complex work authorization issues in the recruitment process while bringing awareness to employment based immigration benefits. If I can help you, please reach out. I'd love to hear how. And you can book an appointment directly with me via the h1bguy.com. Today's live stream is brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high schooled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain, by perm the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys, Navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process, and by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing US work visa related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner, Mob Squad, has a solution. Join the squad. Well, I wanted to start off today's live stream with a little bit of. Behind the scenes, and, and that is to say, uh, last Friday, Saturday, uh, you may have noticed that there were no posts from this platform at all last week. Uh, unfortunately, I've had a very busy schedule, uh, both uh, in, in my real life and in my work life. And I had um, written and edited an H1B Guy News post to push out on Saturday morning. Uh, but I did experience some technical difficulties after production was complete with the audio and video being out of sync for like the first half of the post. And I was out of town for some leisure and didn't discover the issue, uh, the issue really until it was too late. So uh, in lieu of quality of content, I did not publish that post, um, but I will be covering some of those talking points during today's live stream. Uh, during the H1B guy news, which is the last post here on uh, this channel uh, for the week ending September 8th, 2023, I offered an ebook giveaway for Ask Sophie, the founder's guide to visas and green cards. Um, and I've replied to those who commented on that post. And I decided to also do a third winner giveaway. Um, so if I replied to your comment, please be sure to message me via the h one bguycom to claim the ebook. I've already sent out one of those uh, of individuals who did reach out to me. Um, so I've already sent you that ebook, Please check and make sure you've got that if you haven't already. So here is the news that interested me most last week. Uh, back on September 13, 2023, Tasneem Zaman, uh, who is a senior counsel for Littler, in a blog post that's titled Ninth Circuit Affirms Employer's Obligations Under the Labor Condition Application, Uh, Ms. Zaman writes, quote, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit recently affirmed an employer's duty to comply with the attestations made under the labor condition application LCA to pay for its foreign national employee during the period of authorized employment. The case Persian Broadcast Service Global Inc. versus Walsh stems from an administrative complaint a former employee filed with the Department of Labor's DOL Wage and Hour Division in February 2015. The complainant is an Australian citizen who was employed by the petitioner television station on an E3 work visa status from November 2011 until July 2014 and took this step against his employer for alleged unpaid wages for the period cover under the two certified LCAs during his employment with the company. The DOL's appellate body, the Administrative Review Board, ARB, found that the employer had violated its LCA attestations and ruled in favor of the employee and ordered the employer to pay the back wages. The interesting component in this legal battle is that even though the employee was advised by his employer during the employment period that it was not able to pay the wages and the employee worked partially from overseas for some time. The ARB, U.S. District Court, and finally, the Ninth Circuit all held that this did not effectuate a bona fide termination of employment, thus keeping the employer obligated to pay the certified wages under the LCA. I will say it's really crazy to think that this case has been ongoing since February 2015. Um... And I've previously covered E3 visas a few times, but most extensively in my post, E3 visa, what you need to know. I've included a link to that video in the job description below. Of course, E3 visas are very similar to H-1B visas, but for Australian citizens. And they are issued typically in two-year increments. So that's why we're talking about two LCAs here from, from this lawsuit. And they are indefinitely extendable. It does require an LCA, which requires employers to pay the prevailing wage determination for the MSA, Metropolitan Statistical Area. So again, as highlighted, what's really interesting with this ruling and with this case is that the employee did work overseas for a period of time. And that's interesting because the LCA is based on a very specific geographical area in the US. I do dare to say that this may be kind of an unprecedented ruling and could potentially have some future impacts on H-1B visa employees that could be temporarily working abroad. While this is a very gray area and one that's typically frowned upon, let's be honest, it it does happen on occasion. On September 14th, 2023, Steve Rao, in a post for WRAL TechWire titled, Canada is eating America's lunch when it comes to high-tech worker immigration. Quote, when it comes to building a long-term professional future in America, there's a simple rule. Those who can do and those who can't move to Canada. What makes Canada such an appealing option? Well, let's be frank. It isn't the weather or the cuisine. It certainly isn't the quality of the employment and research opportunities. America is still the best place in the world to study, work, research, and innovate. Educated immigrants long to work in a vibrant tech hub like Silicon Valley, Austin, or here in the Triangle. Far fewer dream of spending their lives in Ottawa. So why are so many people eager to head north? America relies on immigrants to power its innovation economy, and yet we make it incredibly difficult for those same immigrants to build a stable future here. Here in the Triangle, we're rightly proud to have built an innovation ecosystem that attracts the world's most talented young people. This benefits all of us, among other things. It's estimated that for each H-1B visa that's issued, American companies create 1.83 additional jobs for U.S.-born workers. But that isn't enough. We also must build a modern immigration system that can give skilled immigrants a real launch pad for their careers and a meaningful chance to build a future in our community. The American immigration system is so bad that many thousands of immigrants who dreamed of making it to America and succeeded recently decided that Canada was a more attractive option. If you want to keep attracting top talent, then keep them here. Our policies need a major overhaul. It's time to reform the H-1B system, rethink the country cap system, and finally build an immigration infrastructure capable of supporting our states, America, and North Carolina's world-class innovation economy. I've covered numerous times the fact that we are losing talent to Canada and really around the globe now at this point. And the question becomes why? And that answer, as this post points to, is because the H-1B lottery system is broken uh, and that high-skilled immigration here to the U.S. requires you to be basically a Mensa to understand it. I've most recently discussed relocating to Canada via via the global talent stream as well as the H-1B open work permit with Syndesis's Mark Pavlopoulos, as well as Mob Squad's Arif Kamani and Neil Zhu. I put links to both of those live streams in the video description below, and and I will say this, both organizations are sponsors here on this channel, and they both provide a first-class white glove service. If you're thinking about Canada as an option please be sure to check out syndesis or mob squad they have amazing offerings and can absolutely point you in the right direction to see if that canada via the global talent stream would be an option for you but with that being said this fact cannot be understated h1b visa employees create 1.83 american jobs almost two american jobs per every H-1B visa employee. I've covered this numerous times in the data points specifically around the research triangle, as well as articles from uh, the Houston Chronicle over the course of this platform's three years. So let that sink in. Consistently referred to as cheap labor and stealing American jobs, it's literally been proven by verified data time and time again, H-1B visa employees create American jobs. I think it's time that we make uh, our high-skilled immigration system less complex and more inclusive. If not, as the article title refers to, we'll continue to have our lunch stolen by other countries from around the world. Also last week, a very powerful testimony was given by Lawrence Van Beek to the Senate Budget Committee. If you may be hearing about Lawrence for the first time, I wanted to remind everyone that Lawrence joined me and others, um, including Muhil and Mary, as well as Deep Patel from Improve the Dream a few weeks ago, and he shared his story here on this platform. Uh, Lawrence grew up in Iowa, went to the University of Iowa, and works in tech. Unfortunately, he aged out and, through numerous failed H-1B visa attempts, had to self-deport to the Netherlands, and is now living and working in Belgium. I'll put a link to the video shared by the Senate Budget Committee's Twitter feed in the video description below, and if you haven't seen it, it is absolutely powerful. Please take a few minutes and watch it. As I've said many times, it's time that we put an end to self-deportation for legal childhood arrivals who age out. I also wanted to take some time here uh, this afternoon to, to jump into the October Visa Bulletin. I posted yesterday the H-1B Guy Grades, October 2023, Visa and Predictions versus the actual Bulletin Released. Um, and I had some thoughts that that I wanted to just kind of share from an extemporaneous perspective. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to ask everyone, if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to the H-1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Please make sure you've liked this video. Uh, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel. If you have questions or comments about the E3 visa lawsuit that I previously mentioned, um, about the blog post from Steve Rao on Uh, Our immigration system is broken and and Canada is stealing our launch or the powerful testimony from Lawrence from Improve the Dream. Please post your questions or comments in the chat if you have thoughts around the October visa bulls. And I would love to hear what you're thinking at this point. I know a lot of you are frustrated with um, the visa bulletins as a whole um, and how they have led to disappointment really month over month over the last several months since we stopped seeing the aggressive forward movement um, that we saw last fiscal year. So very late Friday uh, on September 15th, um, the October Visa Bulletin did post. And, you know, if we look at, you know, what happened, well, we saw some forward movement in India EB1 for final action dates, but that was really a recapture of, of some pretty expansive retrogression. Um, EB2 as a whole, uh, for final action dates did move forward a full year, um, but again, that full year was still from retrogression from the previous year, um, and then we saw a pretty good jump in EB three for for final action dates, kind of getting back to where we we almost started uh, most of of last fiscal year. But I think what was most interesting to me, um, and and what I uh, honestly was was thinking was. Really, the most intriguing is there was actually uh, some retrogression that was included in October, and if I'm being honest, I don't really remember. Um, uh, don't really remember the last time that we saw retrogression in October, at least for the last three or four years. Uh, but m- my guess is again that is based on a couple of things, right? Which we've been talking about uh, pretty much at length, and and that is. Number availability uh, for fiscal year twenty twenty four is going to be substantially lower, probably closer to that one hundred and forty thousand uh, versus the one hundred and ninety plus thousand, two hundred plus thousand that that we've seen over the last uh, last few years, um, and so I, I think that to me is more of a sign where you do see the retrogression that occurred for dates of filing in India EB-1 back to that July 1st, 2019 number. Why is that uh, something to to make note of? Well, again, if you think final action dates are January 1st, 2017, where we have to think of of dates of filing in July 1st, 2019, is that's really the Department of State's way of saying anywhere in the next 6 to 12 months, um they would expect final action dates to equal dates of filing so it could be a full fiscal year possibly uh, before we would see final action dates for india eb1 get to this july 1st 2019 number the other thing that really stood out to me is that with india eb2 being january 1st 2012 Um, and dates of filing moving to really only 14 days, two weeks, May 15th, 2012, again, looking at six to 12 months in advance. Um, we're not going to see a lot of movement for India EB2 final action dates, um, probably over the next couple of quarters. And so again, you know, this is where this is very disappointing news when we look at overall number usage and and dates. However, for China in EB1, we did see forward movement. We saw forward movement in final action dates, pretty significant, actually going above that February 1st, 2022 to February 15th, 2022. And we also saw for dates of filing, it move all the way to August of 1st, 2022. And so I think that point is interesting in and of itself because you're seeing where the overall number used for China remains lower than it does for India. And that leads itself to those dates now no longer being in, in parallels. Um, I know a lot of you continue to ask me about EB three unskilled um, or uh, other workers, if you will, and a lot of you have asked me about um, EB three for Philippines, and I kind of lump those into my all chargeability for EB three, not the other workers, but more so the Philippines, EB three Mexico. I think they all are sort of running in tandem um, from an all chargeability perspective, and so you know in terms of what do I foresee for final action dates for like EB-3 all chargeability, right? Well, we're at that February 1st, 2023 date, whereas Philippines is in that January 1st, 2023 date. Uh, But when we look at, well, what's the gap then for EB-3 Philippines for final action dates? And there's almost a two-year gap there. So I think that we will see some progressive movement in EB3 Philippines, maybe not in November's bulletin, maybe not December's bulletin, but maybe at the beginning of the next quarter. So that would be in that January, February. And I really expect that we will see some of these dates for final action start to creep up more. When we get into that April, May, June, very similar to what we saw in 2022, potentially for uh, EB1 categories, definitely for all chargeability categories, and and maybe even a little bit in, in the Philippines categories. So um, with all of that being said, I, I think the most interesting thing when we look at what does the October Visa Bulletin provide us with? And dates, for the most part, it was very minimal movement, we had some dates that moved for almost a year. And we had some dates that moved anywhere between seven days to 14 days, and then a lot of the categories were in this 100 150 days of forward movement. And so that very clearly to me is an indicator, um, as was, you know, mentioned and in, in highlighted in, in the bulletin, of we can expect, um, uh, you know, some some pretty minimal movement, and and the bulletin addressed that in section E, and that employment-based visa availability for fiscal year 2024, where they said final action dates across most employment-based visa categories have advanced, uh, reflecting the new visa numbers that are available for fiscal year 2024, and that the date advancement. Uh, reflects an intention to keep visa issuance within its quarterly limits. That's a key, quarterly limits. So I think we're going to see kind of a a very similar bulletin in November, possibly a very similar bulletin in December. And then with some, some advanced movement starting in January, similar bulletin then in February and March, and then some advanced movement again in April um, and then possibly with with some sort of advanced movement that that may happen again in June or July as we head into to that last quarter of the fiscal year. But very disappointing. I think a lot of folks had hope on some significant movement based on the the expansive retrogression that that occurred over um, the second half of, of fiscal year two thousand and twenty three. and 23. Uh, but it's definitely worth noting, too, that. Uh, USCIS came out and uh, um, mentioned that they would be accepting uh, dates of filing starting for the October 2023 Visa Bulletin. Um, I think that we probably see that be the case again for November and December with that cutoff then stopping beginning in January and that kind of quarterly increment um but we've got a lot going on in, in terms of of what's to be expected and here we are very simply in in month one uh, but would want to take a pause here and if any of you have questions or comments i, I do see some questions or comments rolling in i'll, I'll pull those up here on the screen i uh, would like to spend probably uh, anywhere between i don't know 10 or so more minutes doing a little bit of a QA here uh, but I haven't done an individual live stream since the h1b guy anniversary show which was back on June 29th 2023 uh, so I appreciate all of you who have taken time out of your day to uh to join me via this live stream today or if you're watching or listening to this at a later date uh, via the YouTube channel here or on the h1b guy podcast thank you all for your support um, you know, the the voice that I have here on this platform continues to be relevant. We continue to see uh, a lot of changes that are being suggested, mentioned. There's a lot going on when we look at um, kind of the the NDA here, if you will, as, as those conversations start to happen. Uh, but it's going to be a, an interesting remaining um, 2023 as it relates to immigration and as we move into the election cycle in 2024 i'm really interested to see if immigration continues to be a back burner employment-based high-skilled immigration continues to be a back burner um uh, subject and point of contention for for both parties so all right let's jump into a couple of these q a's here Suresh says, LCA are going to stop working uh, for a few works to month. How about second lottery picked in August 2023? Can you tell your word on LCA approval for those who applied for, for H-1B? Um, I'm not sure if I fully understand your question, but I think what you're asking me is um, – For those that may have been selected in the second H-1B lottery that occurred at the end of July for an application period running from uh, August 1st through, I believe, October 31st, uh, LCAs are absolutely still required. Those LCAs are reflective of those MSAs, which I mentioned earlier, uh, that metropolitan statistical area, um, which basically is an easy way to say it's an evaluation of the average wage for individuals that are working in a similar capacity within a very specific area. So LCAs are absolutely mandatory. And that means that's what the employer then is uh, legally obligated to pay you as an individual. Um, So If we're talking about a level one resource, which is minimal experience, a bachelor's degree, minimal experience, a level two resource, which is a bachelor's degree and expects more experience or even possibly a level three or four, which, of course, it goes up the scale. Right. You're talking about a bachelor's degree, five plus years of experience, a master's degree, three plus years of experience. Uh, As you move up those wage levels um, in terms of experience, the, the compensation moves up. And it moves up significantly depending on the the area of the country that you're in, right? Uh, Silicon Valley is going to pay a lot less than Des Moines, Iowa, right? Atlanta, Georgia is going to pay a lot more than Birmingham, Alabama, even though they're very close in geographic location. Compensation rates tend to be higher in metro Atlanta than they do in metro Birmingham, Alabama. It just is is a fact. And, and that's um, unfortunately as employers, um, something that you have to deal with is you could have two individuals sitting in two different geographic areas. One is required to be paid more because of the area to which they they live and work in. I hope that answers your question, Suresh. Hey, Oscar, how are you, man? It's been too long. I would love to catch up and hear all that you got going on. Um, For those of you who are not familiar with my friend Dr. Oscar Cabrises, he came on this channel. Gosh, that was back in December, I believe, of 2020 now to to timestamp that thing, Oscar, um, for the H-1B Guy Stamp It Out series. Uh, Unfortunately, that series has been something that I just haven't been able to continue. Um, Not that I don't have folks that are interested in coming on, but I I think that when we look at what what that story and purpose uh, of, of that series is, um, you know, it's 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 a unique situation and everybody's story is different. But again, I'd love to pick it up and interview more high school immigrants that have come to the US in pursuit of a better opportunity. Um, unfortunately, it's been pretty difficult to to book and schedule. But Oscar, good to, to hear from you. Thanks for joining, man. Um, would love to catch up sometime. Uh you got my number. You know where to find me. Let's talk soon. Hey Minaj, how are you, man? Uh, good to see you. Um, do I think filing dates moving into 2021 for EB1 India in next quarters? You know, that's an interesting question, right? Because we're sitting at this 2019 after it was sitting at what, February, 2022. So, you know, we jumped back, you know, how many days was that? Let me, let me pull it up. I don't, don't have it memorized. I apologize. 1,066 days. So yeah, I think it would be interesting um, to, to track here when we look at, I don't know if we're going to see that in November or December, but kind of like I alluded to earlier Minaj, and I, I think it, that could be a January where we maybe see um, a 45 day or a 60 day movement. But if we go back and look at what happened last year, you know, after the dates that were current moved back and had, uh, you know, dates established, um, that date held the same the, the rest of, of the fiscal year. So I think if we see some sort of like maybe incremental, even if it's as minimal as, as 14 days or 30 days, that'll give us a better insight as to what we can expect moving forward for the rest of the fiscal year possibly in that march or april time frame um, if we see another jump but i don't think again i could be wrong um there could be a whole year of of movement there the dates could actually go back to To where they were from from september pretty quickly in the next three to six months a lot of that just depends on number usage and who is documentarily qualified and being counted against the cap starting in october um so that's a great question and i think again my my gut tells me probably won't see any movement november december once we see that January bulls, and if we do see some forward movement, I think that'll give us some insight as as if we'll see any more the remaining of of the fiscal year. But thanks for uh, for jumping in, Minaj. Nice to see you and uh, really appreciate your question. hey rrh good to see you thanks for joining uh, my stream here this afternoon i really appreciate your time and uh, taking time to support me here in my live stream um do i think october visa bulletin uh, why do i think october visa bulletin didn't show a lot of movement do they think they're trying to avoid further retrogression of being too optimistic thanks and a great job as always yeah i think you're on to something here um kind of what i alluded to earlier which is to say Uh, It's about number availability. And I expect by, I'm guessing in the November bulletin at the very bottom, uh, probably in a section EFG will have uh, a very specific allocation of the numbers that will be available for fiscal year 2024. My guess is it's going to be right on the dot somewhere around you know, 140,000. And if you go back and look at, look, 28% or 28.6% goes to EB1, 28.6% goes to EB2, 28.6% goes to EB3, 7.1% to EB4, 7.1% uh, ultimately for for. EB five, if if you will, um, and so there's some different percentages within those subcategories, but that's the breakdown of how they're going to assign all of the hundred and forty thousand. And I think if that's the case, um, you know, really, I I, I don't foresee um, a lot of a lot of forward movement going going forward. And as, as I mentioned, and kind of reading between the lines of what the visa bulletin is telling us and the information that they're giving us just from October. And that's to say, it feels like we're going to see maybe some small movement, um, in the second and third month of each quarter, but there's going to be more than a month or two, three months. It sounds like it could be at the first month of each quarter. And again, that would be January, April and July. Um, that we could see that forward movement, but great question. And I think it just really comes back to why was there not a lot of forward movement? And it's yes, they don't want to retrogress the dates. And it comes back to what I'm expecting is a, is probably the minimal, that 140,000, maybe a little bit more of employment-based visas that are going to be available for fiscal year 2024, which paints a pretty grim picture when we look at what 2024 and beyond looks like, there isn't going to be a lot of spillover for family-based visas. All right. Um, You're from India. H-1B got picked up for 2024 and second lottery. Yeah. So again, LCA is required as part of the H-1B application. And in that LCA, your employer is legally obligated to provide you with a copy of the LCA which shows the actual physical location that the lca was certified for and that prevailing wage determination i hope that helps hey Sri kumar how are you man thank you so much for joining me this afternoon i really appreciate it you're on an l1 your visa ends october 2024 You're applying for I-140 this week in premium category. You've already used the recapture days outside of the U.S. How can I file for EADAP to continue my status in the U.S.? All right. So the biggest thing for you, I'm assuming you are from India. I would need to know when your priority date is, if you already have one, if you're porting one, what that looks like because the biggest thing for you to get that EADAP to continue your status is to have your adjustment of status that i45 has to be pending for at least hundred eighty days um, hopefully you're under EB1 category but my guess is if you're from India um, you know again depending on on where your your priority date is, if it's not January 1st or July 1st, 2019, you know, you're know you going to have to wait before that date comes current, um, potentially over the next three months to file. But if you can drop it in the chat, I'd be curious to know your priority date. Um, otherwise, I would go ahead and begin making some contingency plans with your current employer. Um, and the reason why, your EB1C, I see that. And so that's managerial. Um, would love to know your priority date if you already have one or if you're still waiting to establish one based on the I-140 approval. Um, But I don't foresee if you're at a 2023 date, that coming current in time uh, for you over the next 12 months to get to a a date of filing, possibly. Um, But you may want to consider what your employer's contingency plan would be um for you to to think about maybe returning back to india for a period of time until that that priority date comes current and you can follow your adjustment status uh worst case scenario is you're gonna have to make a, uh, plans to potentially go back to india for for a few months and i say a few months that could be anywhere between six to 24 months depending on when the, that date comes current for you i hope that helps i know it's probably not the answer you wanted to hear but if your priority date is after July first, two thousand and nineteen, it, it's probably gonna gonna be a while. Yeah, so you don't even have a priority date established. It sounds like Shri. Um, I would go ahead and and be talking with your employer about that contingency plan of when they would like for you to to leave the U.S. If I'm you, I'd probably plan on leaving sometime in August, at least for a temporary period of time, functioning in the same capacity in the current role you are, um, just overseas. If if it's working for the same company that brought you here back back in india Um, but based on that my guess is you are going to have to spend a period of time outside of the us before your priority date is going to come current all right last one from suresh uh multiple applications of h1b with different companies that are not related uh, to each other you'll refer them to my channel yeah this is that whole notice of intent to deny where USCIS has been blanketing anyone that had multiple registrations that an application was filed via a third party. Um, There's a lot of chatter out here on it, and it's just been considered kind of this blanket notice of intent. I've also seen where individuals who are working full time for sponsoring employer uh, in a perm role versus like a third party in client worksite, but they had others register them There are RFEs being put on those, but again, I feel pretty comfortable and confident in saying that if you're working directly internally for an employer in a PERM role and they were selected, even if you had multiple registrations, I would go ahead and pursue that application unless your immigration attorney is advising you otherwise. Well, hey, great Q&A session, everybody. Um, Thanks to Suresh, my good buddy, Oscar. RRH, good to see you again for jumping in. Um, you know, really appreciate all of your your questions and comments here. I hope uh, this Q and A session was helpful. I know the October Visa Bulletin was was pretty disappointing. Um, you know, I I picked it at a twenty two percent, but again, very difficult to predict without fully knowing the numbers that were available. Uh, hopefully, we will see what those numbers look like. Uh, at some point uh, when the November 2023 Visa Bulletin is released. I do want to mention, be on the lookout. My my H-1B guy forecast November 2023 Visa Bulletin predictions probably will come out a little later than normal. Definitely not on the 1st of October. may not even make that first Monday. It might be on Tuesday, October the 3rd. So if you'll be on the lookout for that, as always, I appreciate all of your support and interest in my post and my content and what we do here on this channel. I'll be putting out an h one B guide News um, for the week ending September 22nd, 2023, either Friday or early morning on Saturday. As always, if I can help you, um, please reach out to the h one bguidecom There is a form that you can fill out and you can submit uh, your questions or comments, or you can book an appointment directly with me um, via my link to my Calendly booking page. Uh, Unfortunately, my availability over the next couple of weeks is non-existent. Um, but would love to have an opportunity to meet with some of you when I get back in the month of October, November, planning out a lot of content over the rest of the year. I would like to make sure that I'm doing at least one of these individual live streams each month, because I know a lot of you enjoy the questions and the comments and I enjoy the camaraderie. Um, So thank you all so much for your support. And those of you who who took time to, uh, who joined me here today, really appreciate all the questions and uh, you know, Tell your friend if they don't know about me. Um, we're getting close to almost 6,000 subscribers here on this channel. Not quite there yet, but hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be really close to that number. So I'm going to go ahead and close this out today. And and just wanted to say thank you to our sponsors uh, who helped bring this live stream to you. And that is Cydesis and Path to Canada. They provide an ideal plan B for high school immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain if you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration don't get caught off guard, make sure you have a Plan B and Synthesis and Path to Canada are your answers. They'll gladly help you navigate the process. And if you'd like to find out if you qualify, please be sure to use the link in the video description below and someone from Sedesis or Path to Canada will be in touch. By perm the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. If you're looking to reduce your costs and overhead associated with Perm Labor Certification Recruitment Advertising, let perm-ads.com help you. My good friend Carl Ballsmeyer and his team at perm-ads.com do incredible work. If you've never heard of them, please check out their website and let them know you heard about them from the H-1B guy. And also by Mob Squad. Are you a technology professional facing U.S. work visa-related challenges? Don't leave your fate up to chance. Our partner MobSquad has a solution. MobSquad helps technology professionals facing U.S. work visa-related uncertainty remain working with their current U.S. employer near shore from Canada, as well as technology professionals from around the world who are seeking to find a rewarding opportunity in North America. Through their partnership with the Canadian government, they can obtain a Canadian work permit for you and your spouse, and as little as four to six weeks. So, whether you're looking to stay working with your current U.S. employer or you want to find a new opportunity in Canada, please. Find out how the team at Mob Squad can help you via the link in the video description below. Join the squad. Well, I just wanted to ask you one last time, please like this video, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube, and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we go live like we have here today on September 20th, 2023, a little after 2 p.m. Eastern. If you've made it this far, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to watch or listen to my live stream. I really appreciate your support. If you are not, please follow me on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it these days. Instagram, Facebook, the H1B Guy Telegram channel. Uh, Connect with me on LinkedIn. There is a link in the video description below. Send me a LinkedIn connection. I would love to connect with you there as well. Um, But I'm Robert. I'm the H1B Guy. I really appreciate all of your time and everyone who took time to join me here today during the live stream. Um, But again, I'm the H1B guy, your global source for all things H1B.